time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 54 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. This week, we are podcasting a quarter mile at a time with Dominique Toretto's ever-expanding crew in The Fate of the Furious. Ever since Fast Five, this series has been growing farther away from its racing roots and more towards full-blown action. Does the formula still work? We'll give our thoughts on that and much more. So Patrick, my co-host, my friend, mi familia, are you ready for this? As long as I have a corona. I'm ready for this. <laughs> no Belgian ale for you, my friend. It would actually be Belgian ale with the with the uh, with the introduction of one of our newer characters in the last couple of movies. I was so glad that he introduced a new kind of beer that makes me happy because you know I'm a Belgian. I'm I'm an ale guy. I'm not necessarily a Corona man, so that's good to that's good to know that. Well, but, I'll, uh, I'll throw my vote in uh, in in Dom's Corona bin since I'm not a beer drinker, <laughs> uh, just to even things out. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm really excited about seeing the uh, not seeing this. We've already seen it. I'm excited about talking about it, and uh, just just the chance to be able to dissect this as much as we can from a movie that is really, you know, just great one-liners and uh, and explosions and just mayhem of all of all things. It'll be a, it'll be a fun discussion to talk about the um, the eighth installment of a franchise that. At, you know, for a, a while seemed to be kind of going off course and then I guess seemed to find its roots and uh, and make its way back. So before we get into that, I really want to uh, catch up for a few minutes. So what have you been up to this week, man? Or I guess, you know what? Let me go first because I figure you've probably been up to a ton. So if I could be so bold, let me go ahead and... You may. I, you know, you've in the last like 20 seconds, you've said something about off course and catch up and let me go first. I wonder how many race puns we can get into this podcast. They won't be. Yeah, it's going to be unintentional at, at best and probably just embracing those puns uh, at worst. You know, I figured we <laughs> might as well just, you know, just keep 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 driving forward, you know, and, and keep the motor <laughs> keep, keep the motor running. I and, love it. um, it's what we do know, here. I, I apologize for nothing in the next hour or so <laughs> as, as we as we race to the finish line to 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 talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, good stuff. Well, yeah, man, what have you been up to? Not much. I've actually I haven't had a lot of time to do a ton of things, but I mentioned to you offline that I ordered a book about a week ago. Um one of the do- this actually relates to a documentary that I saw on um on 80s video games on the video game revolution of the the arcade and, and stuff like that i think we watched you know we watched man vs snake which is part of that i think uh, the king of kong was another one that yep. that we'd mentioned and then there was one called chasing ghosts beyond the arcade which i consider sort of the uh, i guess it's the the mothership of these documentaries that i've watched because it it centers around walter day and just the the big uprising of the arcade phenomenon back in the 80s and what i love about documentaries is that the people that get interviewed you see a little blurb like who they are and why they're famous or why they're part of this documentary and there was a guy on there named john sellers and it said author of arcade fever and i'm like hmm haven't heard that book so i looked it up 
And it was a book that was printed back in like the early 2000s. And it was out of print. But I read the synopsis on it. And it's essentially this guy's visual breakdown of 50 of the games that he remembers playing and being around growing up. And so I found a decent copy because, you know, when you buy books used, you never know kind of what they're going to be, you know, a condition or whatever. So I took a chance uh, to find one that wasn't uh, $300 for a pristine, <laughs> a pristine copy. Uh, I found one on eBay. And this week I've been thumbing through it. I've just been it's it's really just a kind of a pictorial history of these 50 games that he breaks down and and talks about the you know his his experience with them the history of them record holders at that time and um it's it's it, more than anything it's just a great little romp down nostalgia lane of being able to look through things like you know Donkey Kong Frog or Pac-Man all these games that you know I I sort of remember playing in the arcade but that are very famous for being arcade games. So it's, it's been fun to, to read. It's been fun to, to look at. And um, it's his kind of personal commentary. So it's kind of got this personal touch to it that I've really enjoyed. And so, yeah, I've been, I've been thumbing through this arcade fever most of the week, or at least the latter part of the week. It's very cool. Yeah. I, I yeah. love that you're a resident uh, book guy since I don't read nearly, well, I, I, I was going to kind of give myself too much credit there and say I don't read nearly as much anymore as I used to when, in fact, I really don't read at all anymore, <laughs> if I'm being <laughs> honest. Um, it is something I definitely miss, uh, but I love that you are discovering these gems and able to talk about them. Well, these this has lots of pictures, so it should be good for you if you want to ever take a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to say that I have reading problems or that I just need things to go fast? I got I got one here that says Curious George goes to the movies. You might like that ooh, one too. Ooh, that That's sounds exciting. <laughs> Curious George starts a podcast. You know what? Hey, it, it, there's got to be a dummy guide for everything, and if it's Curious George <laughs> themed, I'm okay with that. <laughs> what about you, man? What are you been up to this week? Well, you know, I've I've been finding a lot of balance in my life recently and getting back into different hobbies of gaming and TV and anime. And so I've been all over the place and doing a little bit of each thing, which, you know, makes me want to do a whole podcast on everything that I'm into. I just am so passionate. Uh, but I, I, at the risk of boring our listeners, I won't, I won't go through everything I've done this week. Um, what I won't talk about is rewatching or not rewatching is uh, watching the new 50 shades darker. So I'm not going to discuss what my feelings on that. If you're curious what I thought, uh, you can hit me up on social media after this podcast, after you're done listening, and we'll talk about that. Uh, I do have thoughts. Um, the, only, the only thing I'm interested in is when the digital copies of all those movies come out, because I know that was part of the, the yeah, foursome, the, the four pack. That, yeah. <laughs> where three of those four are definitely worth owning. <laughs> Maybe not that one. Though. Yeah, I think the other three were Split, The Great Wall, and Get Out. So I'm yes. definitely pumped about getting them eventually. Um, I did. I also watched a couple new Bond, uh, a couple more in my Bond uh, rewatch uh, cycle that I'm doing. So I watched The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, which couldn't be more different, to be honest. It's kind of crazy that they're back to back. But the ones that I really want to, I want to talk just a little bit in detail about are a couple different movies uh, to start off with. One is called Calvary, and this is a movie that a lot of my friends uh, have been raving about for. Gosh, two and a half, three years now. I think the film is from 2014. 
Uh, it stars Brendan Gleeson as a priest in, I believe, Ireland or Scotland. Honestly, couldn't tell you which. I get the two confused a lot. Um, and basically, it's, it's man, it's like a dark comedy. Uh, the writer, I can't remember if it's Emmett McDonough. I can't remember his name, but it's the brother of uh, the McDonough that has written uh, the the famous movies, the train spottings and, and things of that nature. So it's kind of tonally like those films where you wouldn't expect what you're going to get. Um, I, I'll be honest. I bought this sight unseen, Patrick, uh, for our, our shared uh, feel and film voodoo account, and I thought, oh, all my friends love this movie. Uh, they they put it as their favorite movie of that that year. Heck, I have one friend uh, who says it's his favorite movie of like almost the last decade, at least. So I was expecting this incredibly like, you know, I don't know, passionate Christian film, <laughs> and I don't I don't know why I was expecting that, but you know, looking at the cover. That's that's kind of what I got from it. I was not expecting a murder mystery that was going to incredibly challenge uh, me in my both in just some of the things in faith and and thinking through some things. Essentially, what happens in this film is uh, it opens up with this priest and he's taking confession and uh, a man is tells him, hey, I'm going to kill you. He says, I, I was abused by the clergy and all of these things have gone wrong in my life, and I trace it back, and I, I blame the priesthood. And so I am going to kill you next Sunday. I am going to make you suffer uh, for the sins of them, essentially, for the sins of the church and for failing me. And then we go through a week with this priest uh, walking through his life as he interacts with the townspeople uh, in this town, and we see him struggle um, and him fight against what it's like. There's definitely a Christ parallel uh, going on here uh, leading up to the ultimate conclusion of this movie. Uh, spoiler alert, he doesn't die and come back from the dead. We are recording this on Easter, so there is only one guy who's done that. But um, he, he, it is very similar uh, to what you would think of as, you know, when the story of Jesus, you know, leading up to the cross and what he went through. So fascinating film. Um, I, I highly recommend it uh, to to anybody. Really, it's just a, it's a it's a wonderfully made movie, and tons and tons to think about. One of my favorite lines from the film comes toward the end, and the priest says, "I think that there's too much talk about sins and not enough talk about virtues." And I just loved that. I, That's I a great that line. Was, yeah, I just thought that was spot on. Uh, something that the, everybody in the world needs to hear today. <laughs> you know, we're quick to point the finger and talk about what's going wrong, but we don't uh, point the finger and celebrate what's going right. So, yeah, um, fantastic film. I, honestly, you know, top five ish, at least maybe top two for me of 2014 in hindsight. Uh, so I definitely going to be rewatching that one again. The next movie uh, that I watched uh, was Your Name. Now, this is a an anime film that is currently released in North America just came out here uh, last week. And the, the, the kind of special thing behind this film is that it has unseated spirited away as Japan's highest ever grossing animated film. I kind of got caught up and, and curious about the hype here and wondered, you know, is that really possible? Because Spirited Away, a Miyazaki film, is absolutely beloved by Japan and then by both Western audiences here in America as well. 
and heck, all over the world. So your name had a real challenge, to be honest, if it was going to meet those expectations. And I got to tell you, for me, it did meet them, if not surpassed them. Um, <laughs> I was blown away by this movie. This is a, cr- I was not expecting what I got. Um, the film has elements of a body swap, a la like Freaky Friday. It's got time travel elements. Uh, it's got a disaster movie element to it. It's definitely got a ton of, uh, Shinto religion, Japan, one of Japan's religions, uh, influences that are, that are moving the story along. Uh, it is a romance. It is a coming of age tale. Um, and it is just phenomenal, uh, in its storytelling. The, I really would have to describe it, to be honest with you. I, I've, I've, I've called it the La La Land of anime, but I think the more accurate description might be Christopher Nolan's La La Land of anime. And, and that's, that's really what you're looking at here. Um, and if that's intriguing to you, I urge you to go check out this film because it's, it's just amazing. Um, it's simply gorgeous, quite possibly the most beautiful animation I've ever seen. Uh, an amazing score, an amazing soundtrack that totally just sweeps you away and, and it just wells up inside your soul as you're watching this. I cried like a baby a couple of times during this film. Um, I smiled so big during other times in this film. I laughed out loud. My kids absolutely loved it as well. And, uh, it's one that I am in a hurry to watch again. Like I, I want to get back to this and see it as fast as possible. The next day I actually went scouring YouTube looking for explanations of the film. Cause it's, it's a little bit confusing, you know, I mean, we're talking, I told you Nolan type stuff here. And I mean, it just encouraged me to deep dive into this Shinto religion and try to understand why some of the themes of this film were being handled the way they were. And I, I love when a movie can do that to me. So quite possibly my favorite animated movie of all time. I'm not kidding. Um, we'll see, we'll see how it holds up, but it's, it's got a chance and I urge everyone to see (laughs) your name. What? I'm just, I'm, I'm picturing you saying quite possibly my favorite animated movie of all time. We'll see. <laughs> so like in the next 50 years, if people are listening, if this podcast is still going on in 50 years, you're like, you know what? 50 years ago when Aaron said <laughs> he's right because he hasn't mentioned an animated movie that comes close to that yet. I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping that the longevity of this show leads, it lends itself to a, you know, <laughs> some funny outtakes. You, yeah. No, I'm saying to the to the fact that you get to say, you know, in 10, 12, 13, 15 years, you know, this is uh, it still holds up. As well, you're, you know. well, I say that because that is something very similar to what I said after I'd seen La La Land for the first time. I right. had I had a very similar reaction emotionally to this movie as I did La yeah. La Land. Um, and so it was pretty powerful to me. Um, and I, yeah, like I said, I just can't wait to see it again. And I, I hope everyone will, will get a chance to check it out. Yeah. And it I, seems I, like, go ahead. Go ahead. No. 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 <laughs> so it's in select theaters right now. I'm hoping that when it gets a wide release, more people will get a chance to see it, including this guy right here. So. Yep. Yep. I'd love to podcast on this one. Um, the other things I wanted to mention. So we got a new trailer this week, uh, kind of a big deal. The first trailer for Star Wars Episode 8, I think. Is it 8? Yeah, it's 8. 
Yes. The Last Jedi is now out. You know what? We can always remember because now forever Star Wars is going to be coming out the same year with its episode number will be the same as the Fast and the Furious episode. I just realized that. Because FF8, episode 8, it's good stuff. Yes. So the, the Last Jedi trailer released and unsurprisingly the internet and fans worldwide kind of went bonkers for this thing. So I wanted to just real briefly ask a couple questions and dissect this thing. Did you get a chance to watch it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched it um, shortly after it debuted while I was at work. But then I, you know, I didn't have a lot of chance to kind of break it down like websites apparently do. Um, you know, if you can get paid money to do that, that's fantastic. I'd love to be a part of websites that and organizations that get to just break down and find every Easter egg within minutes of a trailer breaking. But I, uh, I watched it again earlier today to kind of look for more stuff and to kind of take it in as a, as a second viewing. So great. Yeah. So what did you think of it? Did it get, I guess, tell me based off of your feelings about episode seven, how do you feel about what you saw in episode eight and where the series seems to be going? Um, it was fine. I, I'm not, I'm not a huge Star Wars fanboy. I mean, I, I grew up as a as an '80s kid, and so I mean, I grew up with Star Wars. So it's not like this was something that was absent to me. And when the prequels hit, um, I was the you know one of the first people at the door to to check out Episode One, and my excitement kind of waned after that. Not necessarily because they were they were bad or anything, but um, you know, Episode Seven came out and. I was like, great, that's that's great. I had a good time with it. Um, just wasn't, I mean, it, it was fine. You know, it wasn't something that was very intriguing to me. Um, I'm, I'm anxious, I'm anxious to see it, but I'm not really anxious to necessarily be, I'm, I'm not at that place where I'm just thinking about it and counting down the days to what December 18th or whenever it, it debuts. I, I think it's fine. Um, I don't really want to see any more trailers. I kind of want to be like, all right, this feels a little bit more original than episode seven. Episode seven didn't give away the fact that it was basically a new hope in updated form. So this doesn't feel like Empire Strikes Back, at least from the teaser, but I could be wrong. Uh, but in general, I, I wasn't I wasn't disappointed by any means. I mean, I thought it, it was it was fun, but I wasn't necessarily like, oh, my gosh, I have to you know change my underwear because I, you know, just that kind of thing. So it was fun. Did you notice the uh, kind of opening shot there of Superman's basically look like a lot like uh, Superman's takeoff with the the rocks from the ground hovering just slightly <laughs> over with Ray's hand there on the ground? I needed I needed a little help from the from the internet to to make that connection, but mm. yes, I did. I noticed it right away. I was like, oh wow, we're stealing from uh from DC now, or we're we're mocking them or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I feel very similar to you. I watched it. And I actually gathered everyone in my office around my desk because everybody was excited about it. We all watched it and they were just kind of a couple of people were going nuts behind me. And I was just like, mm-hmm, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, it was good. Yeah. And uh didn't didn't blow me away. And I think it kind of informs more of my where I'm at with Star Wars as well. uh Long term as a fan and, and with it going forward, I can say I really love this director, Ryan Johnson. And so. I don't doubt that it won't. I don't doubt that it will be a good film, uh, and it will be enjoyable. But I think it could very well be enjoyable in the way that most Marvel movies are enjoyable to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they never, 
they never wow me uh, to the point where they are, you know, John, I don't know. They, they just don't, they don't break into my, oh, this is something that I'm going to love and praise and, and champion for the rest of my life type of, mm-hmm. of films. I'm concerned <laughs> at the recycling of, of content. I, you know, I, I don't know how much there is to do ultimately with just a constant battle of light force versus dark force. Um, and I, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'm getting tired of it, but I'm wondering how off, how long that simple good versus evil, you know, battle of Jedi is going to be able to last for me uh, and mm-hmm. keep me entertained. It it does it does ask some interesting questions. We we don't know if Luke's good or bad. There toward the end, you know, he he mentions something about the Jedi need to be extinguished or they need to go away, which is intriguing. I will admit. Mm. Um, so it makes me wonder why does he think the Jedi should end, and is he the last Jedi or is Rey the last Jedi? What's going on there? Um, so you know, there's some interesting questions being asked, but like you. I just, I feel like the series, regardless of what new stuff they enter, they create with new characters, it still feels repetitive to me in a way that I'm not as interested in. Well, and, and but sometimes that repetitive, this is the interesting balance with, with a franchise is you have, you have this ability to do one of two things. You can either create something that is refreshing. You can, I'm, I, I hesitate to use the word original because I don't know if they're original. You know, I think original ideas are you know more refreshed ideas. But you have two things you can do with the franchise. You can you can take source material and you can refresh it. And I think that's what the anthology films want to do. Things like Rogue One and the upcoming Han and Boba Fett solo films. And my hope is that Episode Eight would do that would say okay we've got you back in with the force awakens we know that it was you know treading on safe water in terms of being uh plot and so now we're going to deviate we're going to kind of venture off into the deep water with these characters that you've gotten to know and we're going to tell this new story so the, the risk there obviously is that you're leaving familiar territory and you're doing something with characters that have become beloved to you old and new or you do the opposite of that which what i think the 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 furious franchise has done and you've said we see a formula that works let's inject it with some more testosterone every movie and let's amp it up and amp it up and amp it up and you get into a an idea that you know this formula is successful we don't want to deviate from it and because that's what works and that's what people expect. And I think that's, that might be where the success of the furious franchise is coming from, which we can get into with our discussion. But I think that you kind of run the, that's kind of the risk that you run with franchises is do you go more original or more refreshed ideas or more formulaic, which one is more successful? So Star Wars is, has, it's kind of on the cusp. It could, do one or the other and I mean it's going to be successful regardless I feel like it's the excitement for me for The Last Jedi is that it feels like it's going to more original type ideas instead of a, a retread of of something else and so that's that's kind of where my excitement lives right now 
Yeah, I hope I, I certainly hope that that is the case as well. I would I would love more original content instead of just a, a retelling of Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> as it were. Um, well, you know, this conversation kind of leads me into the one other thing I want to talk about before we jump into FF FF eight. Um, it, it's interesting. Every time I say FF, I'm used to thinking, feeling film. So, so we are like really in tune with Fast and the Furious. <laughs> We've got this alliteration thing going with this series. It's our FF family, you know. <laughs> yep. So this past week, I made a statement in our discussion group on Facebook um, that didn't get a lot of love, uh, to be short about it. Um, it did get a lot of crazy looks and ridiculous memes <laughs> uh, telling me how wrong I was. But I said that if given the choice, I would take the Fast and the Furious franchise over Star Wars, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the Harry Potter film franchise. Now... Before I ask you what your opinion is on this, then I am going to ask you. I, I, I want you to back me up, but I'm afraid that you probably fully won't, so I'm not going to ask you yet. Um, I promised that I would try to talk my way through why this is. But I'm going to kind of chicken out a little bit, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disclaimer this right up front and say this is an opinion. This is not me saying that I think the Fast and the Franchise is definitively a better franchise of movies than these other three cinematic universes. That is not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is, for me, where I am in my life right now, if I was on a desert island and I had to have one of these series to rewatch over and over and over for the rest of my life, I would take Fast and the Furious. And I think that there's a lot of reasons why that is. One, mainly being the characters. The hardest one for me to add into this mix, Patrick, was the Harry Potter franchise. Because those characters I adore. And I love watching them grow up. I love watching them go through uh, their young age to their ultimate you know, achieval of their goals. But ultimately... That's a story that goes from A to B and ends. It's not kind of wide open. There's not a lot for me to think about and question because it tells me a closed story. With Fast and the Furious, there's plenty of gaps and, and question marks uh, that are always left for me to, to ask about or to think about. Um, so I I really enjoy the diverse and unique characters that the FF series gives us. And I don't think that some of these other franchises do that. I, f I know some may argue and say that Marvel definitely gives us unique and varied characters. I would say they all feel very, very similar to me. Um, a lot of Marvel characters in the cinematic world are really starting to seem like Tony Stark. Uh, you know, there's a lot of quippiness out there and, uh, it just doesn't grab me anymore like it used to. And so, I also think that a big part of this is over the years, I have grown away from fantasy and a love of fantasy, which is interesting because this is something you've talked about recently as well. Uh, and I like more, this is going to sound weird, but I like more realistic 
world type stuff. And yes, I'm saying that about Fast and the Furious, which is very much not realistic, <laughs> but it's also not lightsabers uh, and magic spells and superpowers. And I think I like the grounded nature of the stories and the storytelling and the, the family aspect of what we have going on here. Um, I love the dialogue. I love the world building and how it's, it's changed and gone from, you know, episode one being just a, a Fast and the Furious, uh, being like a point break remake and evolving over time into the cr ridiculous craziness we have, you know, in F8. Um, and so all I got to say is I think it boils down to rewatchability at the, at the end of the day. I am going to put these movies on more times during a year to rewatch because I'm going to enjoy them than I will ever put on a single Star Wars or a single Harry Potter or a single Marvel movie. And that's really, I guess, the most, I, the best way I can defend it. I don't know. What do you, do you, what do you think about my crazy talk here? Am I nuts? No, you're not. And I would probably err on, and this is, this is not just because we're best friends and because we run a show together and because I'm trying to get back in your good graces for apparently a bad comment I made about Serenity. Um, Why'd you have to I bring was, that up? <laughs> <laughs> but objectively, as, as much as we can about an opinion, it's, I would agree with you. Last year I was thinking about as, so what I like to do is I like to, you know, when my wife's putting my son to bed or when I've got some downtime, I'll pop in a movie that's, and, and you'll see me, you know, put in things like, you know, old eighties movies or things. And for me, I definitely, the short answer is I agree with you. I think that just like you, I would probably put in one of these movies over a Marvel movie or over, over a Harry Potter or a, or a star Wars. And I think it has to do with that, that, anthology style storytelling and um you know you mentioned to me we talked offline about um our kind of collective rating of this film and i said on its own it's a four but within the franchise it's a three and a half and you're like what does that even mean right i still don't and, know what that means and essentially that's what it means is the fact that i can watch this movie without having any knowledge of other films and I love it. I think it's a great movie experience. Like it's something you want to watch in the theater because it's just so crazy and it's more crazy than these other ones, you know, from the, from the, from the opening dialogue and, you know, these kind of introductions or reintroductions to these characters. It's, it's just a great, fun, enjoyable movie experience, but I take it down a notch because within the confines of the, of the entire universe, it's not as strong as, let's say fast five or, or furious seven, you know, in my opinion, like those films are actually better for me. Be and so because I've experienced this whole, uh, world, this whole furious world and seen these characters grow up and get added to and taken away from, um, there's something great about being able to experience this sequentially, but there's also something great about saying, to someone who's never seen it, which one should I watch first? I said, well, if you just want to have some fun, go to fast five or, you know, check out, like you mentioned, watch five through seven. You know, if you didn't, you know, if you like five through seven, you'll love eight. Well, there's a reason you said that it's because the first four have different tones altogether. And they, I think they're trying to do something different. Um, and so that's kind of where I think is 
the the good and the bad part about this franchise is the fact that it had trouble finding its footing, but when it did, it started kind of playing with a formula that worked and continuing to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And but you can also enjoy these films individually. Like I find myself going back to Tokyo Drift, even though it's probably the weakest of the films. I enjoy the fact that it had hints of what was to come in terms of just being insane stunts and kind of cheesy dialogue and things like that. Well, and, and Tokyo, like, yeah, Tokyo Drift is made so much better in hindsight because of what Han becomes later. Exactly. When you watch it actually in chronological order as part of the big franchise, it's really great. It feels a little out of place because you're talking about events that happened after six and people are still using flip phone, flip phones in Tokyo, you know, whatever. But, I, <laughs> but, but yeah, you're right. It's, you know, I, I like Lucas black. I think he's, he's a, he's a kind of a, a, a favorite actor of mine. And so I will go back to movies like that. Um, I'll go back to the original because I love a good point break remake, uh, uh, remake. <laughs> and I think that there are things about each individual film that make them enjoyable on their own. And then, so you have that, but then when you watch them as a whole, I think it makes the franchise better because you see what these characters become and who, who they grow up to be and just kind of how their characters evolve. So it's, it's one of those franchises that I think works individually as well as collectively, even though it doesn't, it's not as strong collectively as like Marvel or Harry Potter or whatever. I think that because they work individually, I think that's what its strength is. Yes, and I would take I would piggyback on that with this by saying I love the fact that this franchise can go anywhere it wants to go, and I don't necessarily know where that's going to be. Whereas a Star Wars, my Harry Potter's, uh, my Marvel, these are all tied to some writing and some universes that have already been created. And there, it's like sandboxes that these movies are playing within to some extent. Um, and yet FF, it, it feels like a new blood can walk in and write a story and it doesn't necessarily have to connect to this big overall, you know, specified narrative that mm -hmm. the Star Wars EU or, or the Star Wars, you know, universe and even the cinematic universe has established over time. Mm -hmm. They can just yeah. kind of go play. And I love that um, ability to do that. I think I think that makes my enjoyment of the films better because um, well, yeah, I'm not always comparing. I guess is what I'm saying. Like exactly. when I'm watching comic book movies, I am always comparing to the material. When I watched Harry Potter movies, I was comparing to the material. When mm -hmm. I watched Star Wars stuff, I'm comparing to the other Star Wars movies. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, and I I think what the Furious franchise is doing, it's a lot like what the Mission Impossible Mission excuse me Mission Impossible franchise has started to do. You know, the original Mission Impossible is one of my favorites. I felt like it tried to do something different with 2 and then 3 it kind of got back to where I I felt very good with it and then 4 and 5 have become again anthology movies. It's Ethan Hunt's greatest adventures. You know, directed by this director or, so or whatever. Good. And I think that the Furious franchise has the ability and the opportunity to do this with each of these characters or excuse me, with, with each, each of these movies and these characters can grow. These characters can come and go. And, you know, you have the ability to 
um, to play in this world because you can say, you know what, let's go back to Tokyo or let's go into space, you know, because at this point we've, we've gotten, and you know, one of my favorite characters is Roman because he's basically speaking commentary about the modern audience of like, where is this going to go now? I am just in, this is crazy. You know, we've taken on planes, we've got, we've gone on trains and now we're, we're taking on tanks and submarines. What? And we're saying that as an audience, but at this point in the franchise, it's like anything goes and nothing's going to surprise me. And to me, I think that's what makes these movies so enjoyable is that they they are allowed to go to these places because they've gone already. You know, they've just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And so it wouldn't surprise me as many plot holes as there might be if they go to, you know, space or, you know, whatever. And and that's OK with me because it. I, I'm happy living and playing and watching that world uh, play itself out. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. And, you know, with that, since we've essentially segued ourselves into this, let's just go ahead and say up front, we are going to, at this point, start spoiling F8, uh, Fast 8. We are not going to, you know, shy away from that at all. So if you haven't seen the film yet, please, by all means, go do so. Uh, be one of the millions of sheep that have made this the uh, highest box office debut in a very long time. I just read today that it beat out The Force Awakens opening weekend, which is just bonkers, to be honest. <laughs> that's, that's legitimately insane. I, I didn't think anything could beat The Force Awakens yeah. as big as that movie was. And and one of our one of our group members made a good point and said, you know, ultimately the force awakens is probably going to have a better, a bigger overall box office take. And I would agree uh, because people rewatched it in the theater so many times, uh, but even for an opening weekend, you know, with as many pre-sales as with, with the expectations and the hype that was surrounding the first new star Wars film in so long, I, I just, it is mind blowing to me that this movie beat that out. So um, yeah, go see it, go see it in the movie theater. It is a fantastic in the theater experience. It's one, this is what they make movie theaters for. The big screen is for movies like this. So, um, that's our, that's our uh, plug for anyone who's not seen it. Turn us off, go watch the movie, you know, come back and then listen for all those that have seen the film. Here we go, Patrick. Uh, what is your take on this one? I know you've already kind of briefly mentioned it. So if you want to elaborate at all on any kind of, you know, initial thoughts, I know you said, four within the series three and a half outside the series you know that's a little bit above average ish but uh how'd you feel coming out of this one well it met my expectations and i i was very happy to to leave the theater i was listening to one of the episodes of the retro rewind podcast uh on my walk this morning and their co-host one of, one of the hosts paul had mentioned that hollywood uh, one of the one of the things that they do is they make sure that their, one of their ideas is that make the last 10 minutes count because your last 10 minutes are going to be what you remember from a theater, you know, from your movie experience, what you, I mean, you're going to be talking about a lot of stuff, but you tend to want to, you know, your, your, your emotional takeaway typically lives in the last 10 minutes of the film. You know, does it, does it resolve? Uh, did it leave you feeling good? Did it leave you feeling a certain way or a way in which the creative team wanted you to? And I left the theater feeling incredibly satisfied incredibly like just pumped and excited and and happy 
And that's exactly what I wanted. You know, I, I expected to go in having a feel good experience and I left the theater having had that. And I was incredibly happy knowing that, uh, that it met my expectations. You know, it didn't exceed them. I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe that this happened, but it didn't disappoint at all. And, um, you know, my, my rating is, you know, strictly based not on my emotional takeaway, because if that were the case, it'd be a seven or an eight or a nine in this case, an eight, you know, because it's fast eight, but I think nice. for, yeah, no, that's terrible. But, um, you know, they're obviously technical things that didn't really jive with me and, you know, but they're forgiving because my overall movie experience was a lot of fun. And this is definitely one that I'm going to hopefully own and, and drop into our feel and film library to, to go along with the other ones that I recently got a great deal on. So I'm excited about watching those again. So that's the thing is I've watched fast eight and now I want to go back and watch, you know, the first one, uh, or the third one, or, you know, just any of them because there are parts of this movie that reminded me of other films that I want to go back and rewatch. Oh, I'm very thankful that you grabbed them all because that's, that's what I was saying earlier. I, you know, I'm, I will rewatch these over and over and over. And I love that we have the ability to do that, to just pop in Tokyo drift or pop in the fast and the furious and watch it independently without having to be forced to kind of watch the whole trilogy at once. You know, I can't just watch one Lord of the Rings movie. I gotta, I gotta take a day off and watch them all. I, I can't, I can't do them in pieces. It's, it's got to be a big experience for me. But these, I can do that with. Um, and of course, those three, the extended editions, I think, add up to the total runtime of like all of these Fast Furious movies together, right? Oh, probably, yeah, if not longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I had a very similar experience. Um, you know, my overall rating sits around a three and a half as well. Uh, right with you on some of the technical things, maybe could have been done a little differently. I'm not a huge fan of, of the director. I think I prefer Justin Lin, James Wan and their style of directing, um, mainly some issues with maybe shaky cam during action scenes got a little bit out of whack for me. I thought I might've enjoyed them a little more with, without, uh, the movement as fast as it was going. And, uh, some of the, some of the cuts just, just weren't my favorite as far as editing goes. Uh, but gosh, <laughs> I mean, for a movie t to just be fun, I think that is what I love about this series so much. When it, I make a joke every year that this movie each, or I guess every two years, that when I come out of this movie is the time that I am most likely going to get a speeding ticket. And it, it is absolutely the truth because I come out of this these films and I want to drive like a crazy person, man. I uh, I have to check myself <laughs> and remind myself that a I'm not in a movie where I don't have cops anywhere, and uh, you know b I'm not driving a, a Dodge Charger, uh, I'm driving a, a Ford Focus, so uh, I you know or I'm not driving a tank either sadly, but um or a submarine or, or a submarine <laughs> for that matter, um, <laughs> gosh I can't believe it's a submarine but so um. I really enjoyed the heck out of this. Uh, one of our listeners and my friend Ryan went to the film with me and we had a blast just as an audience experience. This one is up there with get out for my favorite of the year, because during get out, you could really 
feel the audience reacting to the film, and you could do that in this one as well. There was chuckling constantly going on out loud. There were some come on man moments and things of that nature and, you know, gasps when certain plot points were revealed. And I just, I love that communal experience of being in a theater with hundreds of people seeing it for the first time and and going through that. And, you know, that's something special that movies do. Um, And that's, that's why we exist to not necessarily nitpick the technical aspects of it but to look at you know how did it make us feel well it made me feel good it made me have a ton of fun too Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly so you know I, I guess let's we've kind of touched on this already briefly we talked about the evolution of the franchise um, and how uh, some of the early entries are, are much different um, I know when Fast and the Furious came out there was uh the number two got made and Vin Diesel was not in it. That was mm-hmm. the big difference. And we got Taj and Roman or Tej and mm-hmm. Roman. And, um, you know, it didn't do so well, you know, and then they kind of went off course a little bit all the way up to number four, which was the fast and the furious or the fast. No, and just fast. It was the all oh, right. They was, dropped the they dropped the V. <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, they dropped the article. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that to me, you know, some people don't like that one. I do. I don't have any problem with it. But that's kind of when it started to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take this, and we see where going forward from this film, we can make a new formula and mm-hmm. rework these fi- these this whole series into something different. Right. Um, I don't dislike any of them at all. Like I like them all. Um, obviously I have my favorites, uh, but I think that what is awesome about Too Fast, Too Furious not having Vin Diesel is that they, they really stumbled into this new formula where mm-hmm. he was going to be the draw um, and he was going to carry this. And what it essentially did, much like retroactively giving us something to go back to and look at time with Han after we fell in love with Han later down the road – this one gives us character development for those two characters, Roman and Tej. Um, yes. Way before, so when you go back and watch it now, you get to kind of chuckle at that and you realize like, okay, that's how they got to where they are now because they're fantastic, right? Yeah. Their, their comedic relief is, is top notch. Yes. Um, and so I, I just love kind of the story in general of how this franchise came to be. I think it's, I think mm-hmm. it's phenomenal because they didn't set out to do this. They didn't say, this wasn't Marvel. They didn't sit in a room and go, okay, how are we going to figure this out from the very first movie? They just started making movies and then they realized, okay, if we want to keep this going, we need to adapt and we need to fo- focus in on what the fans are saying they love. And then eh, we need to bring in the rock, which, you know, pretty much solves all your problems. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> I, I remember when <clears throat> I guess when seven came out a couple of years ago, was it two years ago that it came out? 20. 20- yeah. yeah. Every two years. Yep. Yeah. I, I remember I hadn't seen, I think I was like a lot of people in that I hadn't seen anything past the third one because what I saw was I loved the fast and the furious too fast, too furious was okay. And then at the time, Tokyo drift was a complete, uh, at least for me at the time, it was a misfire. I was like, where is this going? There are no new, there are no old characters. Where's Vin Diesel? Where's Paul Walker? 
uh, where are these guys? You have these completely new people. Uh, what's going on? And I just sort of stopped watching them. And then, like you said, Fast Four or Fast and Fast and Furious <laughs> brought these characters back and began to say, "Okay, let's start doing something with these guys." And so, when Seven came out, I didn't see it in the theater, so I kind of wish I had. But knowing what had happened with Paul Walker's death and hearing kind of the send off that they gave him in seven, I went ahead and said, okay, I'm going to start from the beginning. And then I looked up on the internet at the kind of weird chronology that took place and saying, okay, in order to quote, get the characters, you then have to be able to, you can watch them in this order. So I started, I watched fast and the furious the Fast and the Furious, I watched Too Fast, Too Furious, I skipped the third one, Tokyo Drift, and I went and did four, five, six, <laughs> and then I watched three. And I just, I enjoyed that because to me, watching these in quote-unquote chronological order, like you said, you get this, you get to fall in love with Han as a character, and then you see him in retrospect out of this family dynamic that grows up in four five and six and you see kind of you know you you kind of it, it kind of feels a little shoehorned and that's okay because three was obviously made before these but you kind of use your imagination you kind of stitch these ideas of who han is as a character based on these you know four five and six uh, into three. And so for me, three became just as enjoyable that time around. And then of course I watched seven and, you know, shed my man tear like a lot of people did. And, um, from that moment, I was just really excited about the next installment of the franchise, yeah, which came now. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, I shed lots of man tears. I'm not going to lie. Um, I watched it before going to see F eight, uh, I think last week and, I shed them again. I knew it was coming and I, I don't think I will ever watch it and not, not cry, to be honest with you. Um, it's hard when it's such a, a real life event. You know, it's, it's different if it was just a, a cinematic thing that makes you cry, a cinematic storyline. But when it's tied to a real life loss of a human being, uh, I think that it's more likely to stick with us on future, uh, viewings and such. But yeah, it it really is just phenomenal to me, you know, how the series kind of amazingly dug itself out of what was left for dead and a failure to becoming one of the highest grossing box office film series of all time. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. it is an incredible story. Um, So obviously we are not the only ones out there that love these, these movies. Now, I wanted to ask what you, how you want to do this. Do you want to talk about this movie and in some of the things about this film before we do some topics, or do you want to do the the bigger question of uh, appreciating and judging this film first? Uh, we can go with the latter. That sounds like a good way to to dive in. Okay. So what I wanted to talk about here is, um, this idea comes up a lot and is a common a common thing for our podcast when we're talking about movies that are not well critically loved or received well, uh, or, or that audiences generally dislike, like, you know, a suicide squad or BVS certain things. So my question is, is it 
fair to appreciate or is it fair to judge a film based on what you want it to be versus what that film is trying to give you? And the reason I say this is because I have read some criticisms of this movie and people that just considered it meh or didn't really care for it. And I've asked the questions, you know, did you like the other films in the series? Specifically, what did you like about Fast Five through Fast or Furious Seven? And I've often gotten a response of, well, I didn't like those. I, I don't I don't like the, the direction they're going. And my response to that is, then why the heck did you go see Furious Eight? Because the trailer should have shown you very clearly what this film is trying to be. And if you don't like what the film is trying to be, is it still on the film or is it maybe on you now? And that's, that's the question I was, I was curious what you thought about. Well, again, I think it's about expectations and in the defense of those guys, I think trailers can be misleading because, um, you know, as much as I love Passengers, the trailer gave us something different than what we actually got in terms of the actual plot of the movie. Uh, but I think that it's it's fair to want something different from a franchise that has given you a lot of different things. Because you mentioned, you didn't say, have you seen the other movies? You said, have you seen the other movies, specifically 5 through 7? Because your defense is, if you've seen 5 through 7, you'll love this. If you liked five through seven, you'll love this. And if you didn't, you won't. That's a fair statement. But it's also a fair statement to say, well, why weren't the other ones like five through seven? Five through seven clearly changed their formula, changed their tone to an extent, got away from racing this, you know, specifically and got into more of the action packed espionage, almost espionage esque type thing. You know, you're fighting drug lords and, you know, people across you know all over the world yeah these are spy super spy films now yeah they are so for for someone who maybe isn't familiar with them or who hasn't necessarily grown up with the with the films and seen them diversify or change yeah it's a fair statement to say i didn't like this and i maybe i expected it to go back to you know the original or go back to the third one or you know whatever but at the same time there has been something growing over the last four films that has worked. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it <laughs> kind of. So I would also say that based on my personal experiences with the franchise, I don't know that I would be disappointed if it went back to the point break type of <laughs> type of story, but I wasn't, you know, it didn't surprise me that it stayed with with this super spy mentality approach. And so either the thing is, is I enjoyed both. I've enjoyed every pretty much every iteration of the franchise. So as a whole, I didn't think my expectations were going to be less than what they were. Again, they didn't they weren't exceeded. I didn't walk away going oh my goodness, this thing has completely elevated this franchise to another level. No, it didn't. It was exactly what I expected it to be. And that wasn't bad at all. That was a really good thing. But it didn't mean that I have like, you know, low expectations. It meant that my expectations were exactly what I think the film wanted to give us. And, and I, I love movies and 
storytelling genres that do that, they don't apologize. They don't say, we're going to try to be an Oscar winner this time. Because, I mean, again, you know, as much as I do not care for Michael Bay as a director, he has a formula that works and he will continue to go back to that well as long as people keep pumping out money to pay for it for the Transformers franchise. Good for him, man. It won't get my money, but... I, you know, if it works for you and it's what you feel is a successful thing, do it. I'm not going to argue with that. I'm going to put my money into crazy over the top action sequences with really cheesy lines in the Furious franchise as opposed to the Transformers franchise. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I I think that both arguments are valid. But for me as a whole, I don't think it, it's entertained me all the way through. I don't know if there was a major misstep that has caused me to go okay, yeah, you've gone off the rails. Right. And, you know, I I just think that it's unfair to judge the film based on something that you want the movie to be instead of what the movie is intending to be. If I was to judge a Star Wars movie and decide that it had too many lightsabers in it, and I don't want lightsabers in my Star Wars movies... That's not a fair criticism, in my opinion, because Star Wars movies have lightsabers. <laughs> and, you know, that is a, it is an integral part of the universe that I'm going to have some lightsabers in a Star Wars movie. And so for me to be upset that they're, oh, they're still using Star Wars, they're still using lightsabers in those darn Star Wars movies, I don't think that that's a fair criticism. And what I'm starting to personally, you know, lean toward in film criticism is that. You know, maybe we shouldn't be discounting so much box office numbers. I think film critics like to do that and they like to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter how much money a movie made because that's, that's just, that, that's, that's wrong. You know, those, those movies aren't good movies. It's just what people go see because, you know, they're, they're sheep or whatever. And I guess it's kind of, I guess this movie has (laughs) brought this up in me and it's kind of been bothering me to think that instead of, praising a film for for making millions upon millions upon billions of dollars because it entertained people we trash it as bad entertainment and essentially you're saying that the hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands upon thousands of people that went and saw it were dumb for going to see a terrible movie and that's that kind of bugs me you know like ah i guess i guess i think you know maybe we are too hard on the movies that make a lot of money that people like to go see. Yeah. And there was, um, I was watching, a. I guess I went back for some reason. I was watching a, I was watching a, a criticism of the, um, the Meryl Streep golden globes, um, speech speech, you know, where she, you know, she takes jabs at, at the president mm-hmm. and she, and she makes a comment about, she basically, she, she kind of makes an offhanded comp comment about, essentially kind of saying that um, we live in a, in a country where the things that are appreciated the most in terms of entertainment are like football and MMA, you know, and kind of dogging that stuff. And the commentator called that out and said, Oh, so apparently the two most popular sports in the U S are dumb, you know, for people to enjoy. And you can kind of get that same kind of attitude for franchises like this where 
you kind of discredit the audience for liking movies like this because they're considered dumbed down. The dialogue isn't, you know, Oscar worthy. And the thing is, you know, (laughs) I have to, as a, as a human being, as someone who appreciates film, I have to be able to find that healthy constructive criticism and be able to look at a film emotionally and say, I really enjoyed that. And at the same time say, however, it did have its moments where I shook my head and said, I know that's not right. You know, Shaw, <laughs> um, or Deckard is a guy who not one movie before was blowing up Vin Diesel's house, you know, and now they're, they're friends. You know, it's just, it, it these are things that, you know, you forgive because it's just part of the franchise, even though it, you're going, no, 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 no. Okay. That doesn't make sense. And so I, I just, my, my point is, my point is why can that not be a five-star film? Why can that not be a five-star film experience? Be- I, I think, I think from an emotional standpoint, it is a five-star film. There's experience. that's where I'm going with that. I okay, guess and that, I think that we discount, I, yes. I think the, the general public discount or general film criticism community, if anything, discounts well, that too much. Right. And, and you made a great point a while back. I, I don't know if you said this on the show or not, but you said just because a film isn't five stars doesn't mean we have to trash it. Right. And just because a film isn't one star doesn't mean we have to defend it to its, I mean, this is me kind of expanding on that, that, Films can be good and films can be worthy <laughs> if they're three stars and three and a half stars. They don't have to be blow it out of the water, five stars perfect for them to be a satisfying movie experience. And the the Furious franchise is a great just example of this. I don't know that any of these are five star movies from a you know technical standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint, I'll go back and watch them again. That makes it immediately. If it's rewatchable, it's at least a three and a half to four star movie for me, you know, mm-hmm. from an emotional standpoint. Um, if I'm not going back from nostalgia reasons, but but yeah, you're right. I mean, they don't have to be. They don't have to be five star from a from a technical standpoint or from just a overall movie standpoint. If you enjoy them, keep watching them because you're the audience. You know, you're. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, I don't want to. Yeah. My ISO box is going to break here in a minute. <laughs> well, let's get on in within with the specifics here before we, okay. we get off too, too far off track. Um, so the, the action, the action in this one, what did you think of it? I, here's my quick take on this and we can just run through some of these things pretty, pretty quickly. We don't have to spend a lot of time on them. I don't think there's, that's, that's kind of the point of what we were just talking about. There's not a ton of depth here. Um, it's fun. It's popcorn stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but it's real good. So my beef, was that I felt like I'd seen at least 80% of the action scenes or the best action moments in this movie in the trailers, the various mm-hmm. trailers that I saw. I'm I'm probably not going to watch another Fast and the Furious trailer. I, I, I know what I'm going to get. I know what to expect now. <laughs> and I would have really loved to been surprised by that submarine busting out of the water and and some of those other scenes that – I had already, you know, the cars coming off of the parking garage and falling from the sky. I watched a featurette that that showed all that being made. So I knew that was going to happen. That took a lot of the I don't know. It just it just it wasn't as impactful 
as it would have been if I'm just watching it for the first time and I'm going, oh my gosh, did that really happen? Um, so that being said, <laughs> I'm going to avoid these trailers because I think they give away too much when it comes to the action in these films. True. But it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, one particular action scene I'm not going to talk about because I'm saving that uh, for our connecting point. So we're going to, we're going to avoid that one. Uh, but my goodness, man, did you have a favorite action scene? Um, let me think. I, I believe, um, gosh, I, I, I want to say the, um, and this was given away in the trailer, but the, uh, the chase scene through New York that ended with Dom being kind of tethered to all the other cars uh, his his Camaro or whatever it was, I, I love the I, I I love that whole sequence. But that particular moment when we we see him, you know, the wheels start uh, almost catching on fire from all the different cars. Um, I, let me just say this, listeners, I mourned and I continue to mourn for the loss of just really amazing automobiles in these films. I. Uh, <laughs> I'm sad every time a Bentley or a Lamborghini or some exotic car just completely gets trashed at the expense of a great uh, stunt sequence. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I justify it and I go, it's all CG. This isn't practical effects. No, they're not going to do this to these cars or they're just shells of cars. They're not the actual cars. So I, I continue to tell myself. But that whole sequence through through New York was really a lot of fun. I think it got back to the heart of... Um, some of the street racing that that Mm -hmm. I loved from the earlier films. And um, as a side note, I think that's really cool that they continue to, even though it's not about street racing, they still use cars as the centerpiece for even some of their bigger scenes. I mean, yeah, granted in the last film, maybe it was six, you had cars jumping out of the sky, you know, (laughs) through parachutes and and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, I thought, I thought that was a great little uh, way to continue to, bring the cars uh, back into focus as part of the film. So yeah, the New York sequence was great. I agree. And I, if I have one wish list item for the future, it's probably that I would like to see racing somehow integrated back in. If they can, if they can, fi- I, I think that the series has in order to sustain itself long-term, it's going to have to ratchet down a notch so that it can ratchet back up. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it can ten- can continue to just go up, 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 up. I think eventually, like you said, you know, we're going to hit a point where there's no up um, to really go to. And mm-hmm. I would love to see it kind of where you know maybe we take one movie to try and you know let's 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 put this aside. Let's we're in the middle of really trying to calm our lives back down and and do some some family level um, street level for the lack of a better term um, racing type. Uh, content that maybe then starts to ramp up at the end of that and gets us into a new storyline or something. Um, right on. I, I, I would love more of the racing. I, I was not a fan of the opening race sequence. Mm, yeah. And, and again, this is where I say I'm not a fan of F. Gary Gray versus Justin Lin, James Wan. I, I don't believe for a second that that opening sequence would have looked as goofy as it did with one of those other two guys and directors behind the camera. Yeah. Um, it just it just did not work for me. It felt completely like almost like an animated movie. I mean, it was just <laughs> so silly uh, to the point. And that's weird to say in a Fast and the Furious movie, but it just it just wasn't my favorite. Um, I also loved 
the New York sequence. And that was kind of where I was going with the trailer. I would have loved to not known that was going to happen and seen them, you know, grappling hook Dom's car. That, that was phenomenal. And what makes that scene phenomenal as an action scene as well is the characters in it. Because you get to see that was the moment in this movie where, to me, Dom looked the most scared. I remember zeroing in on his face. They did some close-up shots of his face through the car window and him, like really like you know clenching his mouth together and you could tell he was a little bit concerned like for a moment he thought okay maybe i'm got like these guys maybe maybe they have me uh and of course you know he's amazing <laughs> and he breaks out of it but you know having having not having not seen that in the trailer when he flips their cars into each other i would have reacted much more uh than i did i guess but i love that sequence as well I also really liked the um, prison escape sequence with uh, Statham and the Rock. Yeah, gosh, um, gosh, their chemistry is fantastic. So everything, yeah, we'll get to that. But like everything leading up to it, and that's part of it, is the chemistry that takes place before the the acting and the the dialogue before the break. But um, I felt like this was Statham like being Statham. <laughs> I mean, jumping over, just I mean, I don't even know how. I mean. The just different ways in which these two guys fight through those mobs of prisoners, um, you know, I, I again, I wish that the camera hadn't been quite as shaky in those moments, uh, so I could focus a little better. But I really enjoyed them fighting their way out, and of course, all the way, you know, down to the coming out the door with nothing but hundred guns trained on them, and you know, Mister Nobody saying, you know, this is my way, <laughs> and so. uh yeah, I really like that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what about humor? <laughs> man, oh man. You know, if there's one thing that has come to define my love for this series, over the action, it's the humor. I think the humor to the dialogue. I think both ramped up equally in, in this film from the last one. And there's something about Dwayne Johnson as as an actor that yeah, I think every action star has their has their moment where they're being kind of the kindergarten cop. You know, the <laughs> they're thrown into a situation where they're doing something that uh, is not necessarily action star esque. And I love seeing those moments. And the opening moment with him, um, and I, it was telegraphed. I mean, I could tell what was about to happen. You know, because they they showed this wide field and they show him making these, you know, barking these commands and you just see his face. And I'm like, these are not soldiers. These are going to be kids. Or oh, these yeah. are going to be high school. They're... But what what was great was you got the whole, ha ha. Yeah. I knew that was coming. And then, you know, he's got this group of, you know, girls, soccer, you know, the, these girls playing soccer. And then they do the whole Samoan, like, I think it's called a Haka maybe or something. Yeah. yeah it's awesome. And, and he was just all into it. And then at the end, the, of course, that little beat, that story beat, uh, that that humorous little beat where the the girl goes, "I'm not playing anymore." <laughs> it's so great. But you just, what I love about that is, you you get, you know, you know, he has a kid from the previous film, but this film sort of, in a small way, fleshes that out, where you know he cares so much about his daughter, and that's what I hope is I hope that maybe the next installment focuses on that. I mean, if we're talking about family, if that's the, 
if that's the centerpiece, if that's the center central idea of these movies, we now have new characters on the team, but also new family members that exist with, you know, Dom's son and, and, uh, and, uh, Hobbs's daughter, you know? And so we have, um, so for me, the way in which that was introduced was great and being able to bring up, uh, Hobbs and his relationship with his daughter and <laughs> just yeah. how intense he was towards that soccer team. She's, so great. she says, daddy's got to go to work. <laughs> he's like, daddy's got to go to work. <laughs> I love, I love their relationship and their dynamic because she does, she knows so much. And I agree with you. It'd be fantastic to, to see some more of that brought in there. That whole scene is just awesome though, as an opening. Cause he's going back and forth with the suit at the time. And, you know, just tell, he's like, cheer, cheer for the red dragons or pink, pink <laughs> dragons. <laughs> he's like, again, again. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh man. So I, I couldn't agree more. Um, one of my favorite rock moments, uh, in this one, I gotta say is, uh, well, everything with him and, and Statham is gold. I mean, their chemistry and their relationship, to be honest, is in a big way, I think, filling the Vin Diesel Paul Walker gap. I agree. Um, I agree it, it's that. different. It's different. It's a different relationship and that's fine, but they're filling that, that role. Um, and I, I hope going forward that we're going to see some development there, but there's the one they've been bantering and bantering, of course, before the prison breakout, like we just talked about, you know, while they're in their cells and then the doors, if I get out of here and the door opens <laughs> and the way they look at each other is just so good. But, um, the one that I love the most is they're in the warehouse and, uh, Deckard Shaw is already, you know, now he's helping them and, uh, uh, Hobbs comes over and he tells him he, he's now found he's discovered this history and he's like you know I so you were awarded this this medal like you were a you were a hero you know so we're getting some some backstory for Shaw that we had no idea of because mm-hmm. he's just a villain to us and that leads to him saying you know can you help me with this and they're they go and they're trying to pick up this part for this car and they start bantering back and forth again and then um, says, I will knock your teeth so far down your throat that you'll have to stick a toothbrush up your butt to brush your teeth. <laughs> and the best part of this is that they both look at each other like they're angry and then they just both start laughing. And yeah, I, 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 I kid you not, Patrick, I would not be shocked if that was an outtake, like if that was an accident, because what it looks like, <laughs> it looks like they both couldn't keep their composure. And right. they just decided that's cool. Let's just keep that in the movie. I yeah. really feel like that's that's that was how I took that scene <laughs> because they've been going back and forth so much. It was almost like they were just like, <laughs> okay, like you got me kind of moment. Um, yeah. And I just, I loved it. That was kind of the moment for them that I just really solidified those two guys with having a relationship. I think so too. And, and it, well, it said a lot about just kind of what, if that was left in, it says a lot about how their relationship will probably be going forward. Mm, I mean, yeah. I think, I think it, it sort of brought Statham's character into the family in that case, or, you know, at least in part. And, um, you know, I think their chemistry is fantastic. I love, love the chemistry between, uh, Tej and, and Roman. I oh, think that yeah. it's, it's just, it's just good. It's Roman. I think I told you this offline. I said, <laughs> I love I mean, Roman playing just the, 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 the goob in, in this, in this, uh, on this team and how Tej is just his kind of his setup man where he just 
there's so many little great moments with those two. But at the same time, like one of my favorite moments with them was when, you know, that's <laughs> just, I don't know why he's riding a Lamborghini on in Russia. You know, I don't know why that is. But, you know, he ends up. Why are you shooting at me? Yeah. <laughs> he ends know. up basically doing a, a wakeboarding routine oh on his goodness. door. And and I think Tej ends up rescuing him. He does. And that was the most a, ridiculous scene in the entire movie. It really was. <laughs> and it was but, awesome. <laughs> but, it, but what made it great, just emotionally speaking, was that you could tell the love that, that these two guys have for each other. Yeah. You know, as 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 friends, as brothers. It's just like... I, I in general, I love the pairings of this franchise mm-hmm. and in this latest installment, seeing that play itself out, how, because of the history of a lot of these characters and also the newness of some of these new characters, how genuine it felt. And, and I think that obviously that has a lot to do with the fact that these are good actors and it's a, it's a great script, but it really amplifies that theme of family and it's just really it fun. Yeah, it does. Casting is on, is on point. I mean, it, it's been perfect and I love those guys too. I mean, they're fantastic all the way you know, up to the end. And when <laughs> Roman, I can't get enough of Roman. I mean, every time Roman opens his mouth, I just get giddy. You know, he's like, going to say something What's he going to say? <laughs> so what's it going to be? Revenge of the nerds or the dark Knight? <laughs> you know, I, I just, the dark I just, night. I mean, he is so out of it. And that, and that sequence, by the way, is another one of my favorite action sequences because I started off going through that scene as I watched it. I remember feeling like, come on, movie, th- don't do this to me. This is this is too far. Like, you're pulling him out of this ice. He's on a door. He's wakeboarding across the ice. And then he's going to get up and use it to, like, block, like, machine gun fire. But then he uses it to knock these special forces guys off of motorcycles he picks up a gun and he's like pop 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 like four shots like headshots all of them and yeah and then he just stands there and he's like now who's number 11 and i, I don't care man i'm like laughing and i'm cheering and i'm like i'm all in you know i i, I it overcomes any kind of problem with realism i have because i'm just like like this is the i i guess what i would i guess what i'd say is like this is my superhero movie like this is mm-hmm. the superhero movie I want to watch, right? Um, because I feel like they're more grounded and more emotional characters. Um, so yeah, humor I think high point uh, for this film. It's it was fantastic all the way throughout. All the characters, everything about it. Um, cast any anything else with the cast? I know we talked some about that. I wanted to briefly talk about Charlize Theron. I thought she was amazing. Like I, I mean, I like too. legit, like maybe the best villain of the series. Amazing. Um, because she was cold. She was calculated. Mm -hmm. She was evil. And I mean, I never once felt like in a movie full of over the top, crazy caricatures. I never felt that about her. Like I, Mm -hmm. I almost bought everything about her character and the way she was supposed to be as legit. Um, I was terrified of her and I thought she just did an amazing job. I think she did too. And two points. One, part of it I think was set up by the trailer that I saw for um what's the new movie? It's the, the basically it's the John Wick for Atomic Blonde. Yeah. I mean, that was a great little setup into uh seeing her beyond just the roles that she's been in in the past. The only thing the the only two moments that I think took me out of 
her being kind of a sadistic character where his, her little, little pot shots while she was on her, uh, you know, during the action sequences where she's calling out commands and she's making little cheesy one letters like, Oh no, not this time. And she'll say there were certain lines of dialogue where it just felt kind of hokey for her. And I say, I, I really qualify that to say hokey for her because like you said, her character didn't seem like one that felt very much like a caricature. Like it was, you know, to a point, but it was also very much one that I would have been legitimately afraid of. Um, and, but those like the, the, the New York sequence where she's calling out commands to her, you know, to her, her lackeys. And then of course the, uh, the, the ice, um, you know, s- sequence, I didn't think those were, were very strong. But other than that, I thought she was just very uh, cunning, very mm-hmm. <laughs> sadistic. I mean, yeah, just what you said. I thought she was great. And what a great name, Cypher. That's such a great name for a, the whole casting name. I love all the casting uh, names in this are just, just so much fun. I, I was super glad they didn't catch her, to be honest with you, because I wanted I, I, I'm pumped that she may come back. I, normally that's not my feelings in these movies. Normally I'm like, oh man, okay, typical. We let the villain get away, and now he's gonna come back. But in this one, I was like, yeah, bring her back. <laughs> I want, I want more of of her. Um, any other cast members you want to highlight that we haven't talked about? <laughs> oh, there's somebody. Little nobody. I thought he was. Oh, great. dude, dude, yeah. as a Brian replacement. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He's a that's Brian exactly- replacement. He is. He, he could is. have I'm... fallen so flat. That role, I mean, that was a almost an Im- impossible job to, mm-hmm. to step in as a no-name actor, because I don't know who the heck he is, mm-hmm. and play a role that was going to lead up to that. But both from the plot, sta- or the dialogue, the script, the, mm-hmm. the progression of his character to becoming a part of the team, mm-hmm. I, I, I loved it. I mean, the moment when he's like cracks the case and he's just like, Take a car, any car. car. Like you're just—I mean, I rooted for him, and I loved him as well. Yeah. So he was—he was my kind of surprise character that I (laughs) that I enjoyed. And Roman. Oh, Roman and him with the name, the names back and forth. So good. (laughs) Yeah. Now Uh, I'm glad you. uh, I'm 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 an idiot. Uh, Here we are talking about. (laughs) I'm so glad you mentioned him. And then you know, and that also brings up one other thing I wanted to say, and that is. Something else that probably is a bit div- divisive um, is the mentioning or the bringing up of Brian slash Paul Walker in this movie. And I want to tell you where I land, and I'm curious where you land. You can tell me where, where you sit. But there's two or three specific mentions, two that I I know of that, I'm, that are fresh in my head. One is um, where they're getting ready to go go off and do the mission and go, go up against Dom. And... I think it's Roman who mentions Brian and Letty says, no, we, we agreed to leave Brian and Mia out of this. We can't tell them. And that's it. Just passing like one line of dialogue. And then the only other thing is into the movie, of course, Dom names his kid, Brian, which if anybody out there would have placed money on any, you could have placed money on any other name. You would have been dumb because (laughs) like we all knew that kid was going to be named Brian. And I can I can see how some people might be like, okay, you know, that's kind of like, let it go. Like, we need to let that, you know, if we're going to take the character out of the series, we need to, like, take the character out of the series. But the way I took it is that it, it was an homage because Vin Diesel, who is a either a producer or something on these films, I know he's been a part of making these movies, 
like he has a genuine or had a genuine brotherhood and best friend relationship with Paul Walker, the person that goes beyond this movie series, way beyond it. And for me, they're referencing him and they're being willing to embrace even the fact that the audience might cringe a little when they name the baby Brian because it's so on the nose is really, I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it. I think, it's, I think very highly of it. I think it, it's very meaningful because I believe it's out of love and respect for that actor and for that person who's no longer with us and has, and they're willing to do that at the risk of a possible lesser story narrative, I guess. Um, and so that's kind of where I landed on that, but I, I do see how that could be divisive. Yeah. I, uh, that was telegraphed, you know, naming him Brian, I, but it's, it's a slippery slope because in, in, in one way you had time, there was also the possibility of creating a plot point where Brian and Mia were killed you know, in some way. And I mean, that could have been a way to go, but I think, yeah, the short answer is I agree with you. I think, I think it was genuine. I think it was, it didn't feel heavy handed. It didn't feel inappropriate. But the thing is, is, you know, we don't have, I didn't, I don't feel like we have closure because in this world, Brian and Mia still exist, you know? And when, you know, this is the part of me that's like, consistency with characters and plot i'm going how do you not leave them out of this i mean i know why you have to leave them out of this (laughs) you know for obvious like real world reasons but there's something that's always going to stick with me and say you're going to want to bring him back until you can't because he's such an integral part of the team and so i almost wish that in some way we kill off his character but i'm not the director i'm not the writer and you know it it, it, (laughs) You know, it, to me, it was, it was fine. I didn't feel, I didn't get a man tear or anything like that, but it, uh, while it was appropriate, it still feels open-ended to me because in that world, Brian and Mia and Jack still exist. They're still alive living in LA and that team is so tightly knit. Um, you're going to have to get me a couple other movies later for me to forget about Paul Walker's character unless you kill him off. You know, there's no finality with him right now. He's just still, they're still living somewhere. They're just not on the team. And that just doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, I have to go back and watch Fast 7 and, and you know, shed my man tear because that'll help solidify that for me. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I can I can definitely see that. Um, So anything else that you want to touch on before? I guess uh, I kind of would like to, I guess, wrap this up the main discussion here by just talking a little bit about this formula because okay. I mean, that's, that's what's going on here. It's what the big conversation is happening uh, out and about about this movie is that, you know, it is formulaic um, in the same way that I personally will complain about Marvel movies being formulaic. Now um, this is very similar, you know, we know what we're going to get to a, a, a large extent. Um, it's predictable. And do you think that that is a strength? Or do you think that that is a weakness? I think it could be both. I think if you're expecting something different, it's a weakness. But if you're expecting that security blanket of the popular formula that 
has made a, a, a franchise successful and you add elements to it that become entertaining, I think it's fine. And the plot, if we can you know, call it much of a plot, I think had some merit. I think there was some definite heart to the film and the overall things that you know led to one another um for at least for me I don't know about you but they led to my connecting point you know there was there was legitimate you know plot that existed here this didn't feel like a bunch of action sequences and you know hokey you know hokey but funny dialogue just stitched together and you had a meaningless type of thing i mean there was some there were some stakes in in this film that as an audience member i enjoyed traveling through with the with this team to get to the to the end and i think it would be very disheartening to to watch a movie where you you don't give your audience that kind of credit you don't say you know you tell your you don't believe your audience is one that could say look i love a good action sequence i love some good dialogue but i love a good story too and i thought that this story that that drove all these characters sorry pun intended uh to to where they had to go was was a good one i thought it was an overall just a very very good plot had its holes but it was it was very enjoyable it was a good story to to go through i'm with you and i was severely worried about that going into this movie i'll be completely honest um, when we watch the trailers and we see oh it's it's dom's gone rogue and the team's going up against dom i thought uh i cringed like how are we going to make that work and even when uh, Dom is first approached by Cypher, I was a little bit nervous because it's like, okay, what is it he's got on on or what is it she's got on him? But it turned out to be something that I was not expecting. Um, it caught me off guard. It surprised yeah. me and it, and it was emotionally connecting and it, it you know, it, it got to me as a parent. Um, and I thought bringing back a character was a great, great choice uh, mm-hmm. emotionally. And, um, I also thought it was was pretty fascinating how I was walking out of the movie. I was talking to to my buddy Ryan about this, and I said, "You know, the the writing was done so well that I spent the whole film up until the reveal trying to figure out in my head what the heck could she possibly have on Dom because we mm-hmm. knew it wasn't Letty. When in reality, literally the scene before he meets Cipher." He's with Letty talking about having a baby and it never, I never made the connection. And I just thought that was pretty cool that, um, it could be done in a way that it didn't give it away yet. They kind of nodded at it and gave us a hint there if we were savvy enough to notice it. So yeah, I really, I was really pleasantly surprised with how much I liked the plot and how much I enjoyed bringing Helen Mirren in. Uh, as the mother to the Shaws. And um, that was the other moment when I, I was just kind of like, I nodded over at Ryan during the movie. And I, you know, as soon as Deckard landed with somebody else in the plane, uh, I just leaned over and I was like, dude, that's Owen. That is, it's Owen. They, they, I mean, it cannot be anybody but Owen. It has to be Owen. And of course, you know, he takes off the mask and everybody in the theater is just like, Oh, you know, he's back. And it's just, Oh, there's so many, so many <laughs> moments where that happens in this movie. And it's, Gosh, I love it. Yeah, it's good, man. Well, let's move into our connecting points, unless you have anything else. No, I am good with that. Um, okay. I think yours comes first in the timeline. Okay. You want to do it yeah, that way? So, yeah. 
the there were there were two scenes specifically, but I, I went ahead and chose the latter of the two, and they had to do with the moment that we get kind of revealed that Cipher has Elena, and that Elena has a son, and that that son <laughs> is Dom. <laughs> so you have these three big like wow moments, and but for me the moment that that connected me. Uh, and you mentioned this with Cypher's just heartlessness <laughs> and her calculated just coldness was when, uh, well, what I thought they were going to shoot the kid. And I was like, if you shoot the kid, I'm walking out of this theater. I, I thought they were. I, yeah, I was concerned. I was like, no, 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 no. Um, but instead, and still painful, is the death of Elena, who was one of my favorite kind of supporting characters in the previous franchise films i was really sad to see her killed off and when a movie can get me to despise a villain in a way that pushes me to want him or her to die that's doing something successful it doesn't have to be a deep meaningful thing i don't have to trudge on it after the movie's over and going why did i hate that character so much no this is what i love about action movies it's what i love about the running man and hating Killian, the main villain in that, because he does things that are just wrong and mean, and they make me want to go, I'm ready for Schwarzenegger to take him out. And in the same way, I was, I wanted that. I was like, all right, Vin, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm ready for you to just, you know, I'm ready to do something. So in the realm of not so deep plots and high octane stunts, this was just fine for me. I mean, I've now in this, at the point in this movie, have been given stakes. You know, I've seen an, okay to not great chase you know race at the beginning and i've seen the rock make really fun dialogue uh, and but now i have a reason to pull for the protagonist uh in this case dom and subsequently the team and i love the idea of family i mean this was an idea that was latched onto i think with fast and furious the fourth movie this is really where family became a centerpiece and it's what pushes the plot forward and I love that Dom's family is extended now that he has his son. And, it, you know, I think I mentioned before that it's going to create it can create future installments uh, with a little bit more interest because now Dom has something beyond Letty to care about. And speaking of which, I love the moment. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on this, but I love the moment when he gets his son back and he says he says he's holding Brian and he goes. I want you to meet my most favorite person in the world. And I thought he was talking to Letty about Brian. Yeah. He says, I want and you to meet the most important person in my person life. In my right? life. Yeah. And he says, this is Letty. Yeah. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. Oh, it's amazing. I loved that moment. And I thought it was fantastic. So yeah, for me, when I, when, when Elena gets shot at that point, I was like all in and I was like, all right, I'm going to be in there with you in that Camaro and I'm ready for you to just take whoever you need to take out. Do it. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, I, I don't think anybody can not connect to that. I, I agree wholeheartedly. It was a very important piece of this story and me being able to love this movie um, for the exact same reasons. And I really applaud the storytelling here for allowing us. You mentioned it. You said it perfectly. It gave you stakes. You know, we've seen this before. Uh, one of our one of our listeners uh, in our discussion group mentioned this to me uh, to, in the post that I made about this the podcast for this upcoming episode, and said, "You know, do we need to run down who all's died in this film series?" 
well, really, we only have three main characters that have died, but they have been willing to do that. We've lost Han, we've lost Giselle, and now we've lost Elena. And it's incredibly impactful when you don't necessarily believe your characters are always going to make it. Uh, it's it's so much it's so much bigger um, when you're seeing this kind of action and stunts happen because you you have to even though you're not expecting it in the back of your head there's just this little chance that one of them's gonna bite the bullet you know and I I love that it ramps it up and it makes it more impactful and and I I think bringing her back was a strong move it made it made Dom have this huge crisis <laughs> emotionally. Um, yeah. and what to do. And, uh, That's for yeah, sure. it was, it was powerful. That, that scene mm-hmm. in general where she dies is just, oh, it was hard. It was a very hard scene to get through. Mm-hmm. It was very uncomfortable. That's for sure. What about you, man? What was your connecting point? Well, the one that I decided to go with, and it, and it very well closely could have been yours, but, uh, the one that I want to champion really revolves around the action sequence of Deckard Shaw saving Dom's son. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Hey, listen, (laughs) listen, we can connect wherever we want. So he, he, you know, he, you know, and fly in GI Joe style uh, and land on this plane. And so, I mean, not only is this the coolest and funniest action scene of the entire film for me, uh, like in totality, and it doesn't involve cars at all, but, it speaks to an incredible new twist on the idea of family in this series. Um, I, I also just love the way that uh, throughout this whole sequence, Statham is constantly, or Shaw is constantly checking on the baby. Um, he's constantly trying to keep him safe <laughs> and protect him, like from seeing the worst. He's like, Oh, you know, you don't need to see this one, you know, bang, bang, bang. Um, and then he'll, he puts headphones on with the chipmunk song you know, to keep his, keep him from hearing the gunshots <laughs> and he's just goo goo gaga with the baby. I mean, it is just so much fun to watch, but it really is. I mean, we've seen Statham and the rock. So we've seen, I, I keep, I need to pick, pick one or the other. We've seen Hobbs and Shaw, um, with this awesome banner throughout the film. But this is the moment where Deckard Shaw is, has his most meaningful because, you know, sequence, because what we have is we have this former villain saving our hero's son. And you said this earlier, this is exactly what I was going to get at was this is the guy who tried to blow up Dom. Well, he did blow up Dom's house. Yeah. He almost killed Dom. He almost killed Dom's sister. He almost killed Dom's best friend. And he almost killed Dom's best friend's baby or child. Um, He also tracked down and murdered one of their best friends in Han. And who is one of the most beloved characters of the series. Like this is, this is a villain. There's no, if stands are butts, this is Darth Vader right here. And yet this act and everything around what happens here leads to this really cool moment on top of the rooftop where we we're going back to that family meal setting that I love so much in this series. Every time it happens with who's going to say grace this time. And, uh, <laughs> it it's where Shaw is like welcomed into the family, man. Like Dom brings him in and what I get out of this the most is that there's two things that happen that really speak to this idea of family that we see in this series. And those are trust because Dom has to trust Shaw. Yes. He makes this deal and, and goes and talks to, to the Shaw's mother 
to to set this whole thing up. But he has to put his baby's life and his ultimately ultimately his life in the hands of Deckard Shaw, this villain, that he will do what he needs to do and protect his child. So he trusts him without having a reason to trust him. And he forgives. He shows forgiveness in the end when he brings his son back and he welcomes him. And to me, like these are two huge things that families do. Families trust each other and families forgive each other. And so I think that is so much deeper than most people will probably even get out of this or think about, but they're going to, it's going to, it's going to connect for people in a you know, It's almost on a subconscious level, but that's part of why we care so much about the relationships we see in this series, because things like this are happening all the time. And so for us to take this most, most hated villain in the movie up to this point and, and show him trust and, or put trust in him and show him forgiveness and bring him and welcome him in after what he's done is a, Bold, bold move, and I absolutely love it, and it makes me really excited for the direction of the franchise. Yeah, and we we throw this word around a lot in film criticism, this idea of something being earned. And to me, I think that sequence that you're talking about of him rescuing the baby, and I have I have some issues with it, but not any you know life changing ones. I mean, some of it was kind of (laughs) at some point you're just like, okay, it's a ridiculous movie. There are ridiculous things happening in here, but he's Jason Statham, Patrick. I, again, I, you know, I forgive this franchise for a lot. This, is, this, this franchise is given a lot of grace by this co-host right here. Uh, but I think that that whole sequence allows him to earn that moment with, with being, you know, part of that family. And that ultimate idea of forgiveness is, it may seem kind of far-fetched because we're only one movie removed from him blowing up a house. And subsequently almost killing people. But that's, it doesn't change the fact that that truth still exists. And the fact that, you know, he chose to do that. You know, he chose to rescue Dom's son. And because really, I mean, his ultimate, his ultimate goal, uh, you know, based on his perspective was to kill Cypher. Like he was ready to get, you know, kill Cypher. But he knew that this was important, and I love that. It's great, and I think you're right. I think people do connect with connect with this on a unintentional, subconscious, whatever level you want to call it, where family is important. Because I think that's why this franchise is popular because it hits on something that a lot of people relate to, and the idea of family going beyond just blood at this point, <laughs> even yeah. though there's a lot of bloodshed. But whatever, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you, man. I think that's that's why we come back to it, and that's why we love it so much. Well, I think that's about it. Um, time to wrap this sucker up. So what we've got going next week, if you want to – well, before that, if you want to catch up with me on social media, especially if you want to come chat with me about uh, my proclamation that FF is my series, I would take – over those other three. Uh, you can find me anywhere at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. That's on Twitter, Facebook, etc. cetera. Uh, you can find me and I will be happy to talk to you. Um, you can also email me at the show's email address as well. Um, next week, we have a lot going on, Patrick, a lot. <laughs> so sometimes these weeks happen and they're busy, but they're fun. Uh, next 
next week on a Friday after this. So this episode drops on a Monday morning on this, that coming Friday, uh, we will be putting out our f- second annual feeling film summer movie challenge. This is, uh, uh, an event that we kind of borrowed from the slash film cast podcast, uh, last year. And we joined up with popcorn theology for a little competition between two podcasts. Uh, they're not going to be able to join us this year, but instead we are having our new writing staff of Don Shanahan and Steve Clifton, and they will be joining us uh, for making predictions this year. Um, we also will have details on how you uh, listeners can play along. So you'll want to tune in to that episode when it comes out to make sure you get that information because it is going to be time sensitive as far as uh, getting in on this action. Uh, then also, the next week, uh, our main episode will be one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, I don't know about Patrick. I guess I should say our all-time favorite films. I do know about Patrick. Uh, that is Top Gun. Uh, we're going to be doing this on my birthday, believe it or not. And we have a super special guest coming on to do this episode with us. It's going to be a blast. I absolutely cannot wait. I'm excited, too. And uh, happy birthday a week early. If I don't say it, I'll probably end up saying it to you the night of because... More than likely, you'll remind me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my birthday episode. Um, <laughs> I might say that. <laughs> yeah, along with that, we also have some bonus content coming your way for all of our patrons who gladly support the show. We're going to be doing our uh, in kind of as a uh, as a celebratory response to our Fast Eight experience. We're going to be doing a top five action stars bonus episode for all of our patreon subscribers and um, so if you want to get access to that you can always uh, check out how you can on patreon.com slash feeling film and pledging as little as two bucks a month um, it's definitely worth it of course i'm saying this very biasly because i'm one of the uh the host but the conversation is always good on the other side of that uh of the uh, of the podcast so if you want to get on, on board, just check us out, patreon.com slash film. You can find out more about supporting the show as well as get past episodes from our website, feelinfilm.com. We'll also have the uh, official Summer Movie Challenge scoreboard up there in the next week or so after we drop our episode. If you want to get in touch with me, you can uh, check me out on the big three, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at shoelesspatch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. And you can also find out more about this guy at thisispatch.com. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, It's time for us to segue and go record our top five action stars bonus content. Uh, You can check that on Patreon like Patrick was talking about, along with some other top five lists and some extra afterwards from previous episodes. Uh, But until the next one, Patrick, I hope everybody out there stays positive. And keep feeling film.